0: This is Cade Massey, practice professor at the Wharton School on this week's Moneyball Highlight Show. We have an interview with Kylie McDaniel. Kylie is an ESPN baseball writer. He's just back from draft in Seattle, and we talked with him about the way baseball is evaluating their prospects. Baseball really is the cutting edge of professional sports evaluation. They're doing things that we'll be hearing about in other sports years from now and in other organizations, non-sports organizations even years after that. So great fun to catch up on what's going on in baseball with Kylie McDaniel.
1: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio.
0: Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball. Welcome to full hour of sports analytics here on SiriusXM. This is Cade Massey coming to you this week with my colleagues, collaborators, and friends, Eric Bradlow. And Audie Weiner, Shane Jensen is out this week. He will be back. We are coming to you via Zoom as we typically do these days. We are delighted to welcome onto the show. We had Kylie on about a year ago, I think. Kylie McDaniel coming back on the show. Talk baseball. Kylie is an ESPN baseball insider. Covers a wide range of topics there, baseball topics, draft, re-agency, relevant right now. Previously, Kylie wrote for Fangraphs. Before that, he worked for four different Major League Baseball teams. He's been around the world of baseball kylie welcome back good to see you thanks for having me thanks for making time for us man you just in from it from uh, seattle right upward the uh, all-star all-star break home run derby last night what'd you catch
2: uh so i went up on friday uh there was a high school all-american game uh in the i guess it's the t-mobile park now i was about to call it safe go Uh, Then Saturday, we had a rehearsal for the draft broadcast. And then Sunday, we, I think we did seven hours of live TV for the draft, uh, which was incredibly tiring. (laughs) And then yesterday, I flew home uh, and crossed all those time zones. And today, I had to finish up my first review of the sort of first impressions, 10 things that uh, impressed me or 10 teams that impressed me from... The draft so far and then it is wrapping up right now and then thursday and friday i'll have a more full thoughts on all 30 teams and all that good stuff so the the whole year-long marathon just ended and we're about to start uh i guess another 363 days of marathon again
0: right right i mean the, the baseball draft itself is a bit of a marathon but of course it comes at the end of a full year of marathon kylie you mentioned a high school all-star game is that just for show to add some ceremony or are guys still being scouted that late in the process
2: Oh, no, it's for next year's draft. So the next year, the sort of thing that had normally happened is you would have uh, the stuff, you know, essentially 365 or however many days ahead of time would start the day after the draft. And they kept all that stuff in place when they moved the draft back a month. So now some of the stuff for next year's draft happens before this year's draft, which is incredibly confusing.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, um, Tell us a little bit about what you saw in the draft. And I'm curious about this new, the, I, I'm right. Am I not that the the combine is a new, a new thing for major league baseball. The combine of course is a longstanding major gathering in NFL circles. Is it a new thing for baseball or is it just getting a new profile lately?
2: Uh, I believe this is like the third year. Uh, it's the first time I've been uh, that MLB is, uh, trying to figure out ways to get all of the media there. Uh, This year, for example, I believe all media members had their own suite at the uh DVAX Ballpark in Phoenix because there's like 60 suites and 30 teams. And so there's like 30 empty suites. And they're like, hey, if you guys come, you can have your own, which is weird. I was just sitting there by myself. I uh, did an interview for ACC Network TV and they're like, what are you doing? Like you have the whole ballpark to yourself? I'm like, well, we're in between... Uh, events right now so it seems like it um but yeah they ended up having i think it was like hundreds of kids there and they have a bunch of new rules to try to encourage kids to go where you can't have private workouts if you're in the top 300 after the combine so there's like two or three weeks there where all the team you can't have a private workout so you have all the workouts early and then obviously a, a lot of the kids will be going to the combine and there were i don't know like 40 bullpens like 100 guys taking bp and infield there was a high school game that was like 12 innings uh, they really like sort of up the profile. Whereas the first year it was sort of like maybe a third or fourth round pick will show up and turn it into a second round pick, like a handful of them. Maybe a first round pick will get guilted into taking batting practice so they can say he was there. And now between this and the MLB draft league, which is like some of the minor league affiliates that were trimmed in the um the last CBA, uh, those now have you know, say seventh, eighth round picks, turning into fourth round picks, all the teams get data. There's uh, a lot more sort of blanketing of information as opposed to in the past. It was like, if you found out April 15th about a good player and a season ended soon, you just wouldn't find out about them and there just wasn't a way to do it. And now there's a lot of different avenues to get your information out there.
0: Okay. Well, you as a baseball follower, as a baseball interest, you just spent a lot of time in the draft, you're writing about the draft. Did you learn things about players at the combine? Did you find it a valuable source of information?
2: Yes, I didn't think I would. I was uh, sort of, we'll say, encouraged to go. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to make it part of like my travel budget. Uh, there was a kid named Devin Saltaban uh, from Hilo, Hawaii, who I had literally never heard of. I would have heard his name sort of late in the process. Um, he was playing well, the draft league. And so I was kind of curious about him and at the combine, he just like fit in with all the other kids that look like they were going to go in the third or fourth round. And I think he went in the third round yesterday. And I think he's maybe the biggest example of someone who would have sort of flown under the radar enough to not have enough demand that he then got his skills out there, which obviously, as you can imagine being a high school kid in Hawaii with real tools that nobody scouted until that spring and then didn't get to face any velocity during the spring. How would you prove that you're good? And so he's a great example of the things that can happen that, you know, can. I would imagine he made hundreds of thousands of dollars because of this process.
1: Wow. So Kylie, um, what kind of things do you think are observable in the combine, a baseball combine, that would be predictive of actual performance in Major League Baseball? Like, I mean, obviously, if a person can throw hard, that would be good. If someone can hit the ball, but I mean, they're probably not facing major league quality pitching. What kind of things are they looking for to measure that will be predictive?
2: Yeah, so like one of the things I uh, mentioned on the broadcast is uh, the very tippy top level of amateur baseball. So if you take like LSU, Wake Forest and Florida at the very end of the College World Series, that level they were playing at was still like a hair below low way. So because there's still four or five guys in the field that aren't going to make it to low A or will be like backups. And so it was yep. basically like a bad low A game, but there were two or three guys that'll probably go straight to high A like Paul Skeens or whoever. Um, so to put that in context, that means every single player in the draft, no matter how good or advanced or how much track record you have you still will be surprised by what will happen at low A. Like you don't really know yet, um, which is probably depressing. I think the average fan thinks that that level of baseball is double A. It's like not even close. Um, So to that end, teams are looking at um, qualities that players have. Like no one has put, like for instance, Tim Lincecum, Justin Verlander, they were top 10 picks and one side young. They didn't even barely throw change-ups in college. It was by far their third or fourth pitch, and they invented it as their best pitch in the big leagues. So in that case, you're looking at guys that are good at things and you're drafting them because they're good at things, but you feel comfortable taking them because they're good at learning new things and developing and have what it takes between the ears, the mental makeup, things like that. And so with the combine, you're looking at essentially traits and you'll see them against guys that are their peers, which is essentially equivalent to rookie ball, the lowest level of the minors. Um, but like Saltavon uh, ran enough to play center field and had exit velos in line with, you know, sort of low way age appropriate uh, right fielders. So it's like, he has the margin for error, that if he can't hit at all, he has the physical tools, or maybe there's some trade value. There's some things you can teach him. Um, But it really can't be more complicated than that because even Dylan Cruz winning the Golden Spikes and being famous since he was 14 and being, for some people, the obvious best player in the draft, if he goes to low A, we still don't know what's going to happen. So seeing them against major league-level pitching is four levels above. And like you have to give them three, four years to get there. It's just a lot of guesswork and partial information, and we're 70% sure this will happen and 20% sure this will happen. And then a bunch of seventies and eighty percentiles is what is the top of the draft, and a bunch of ten and twenty percentiles is what. The well, top let me of
1: the ask draft. you. Let me ask you just a quick follow up, just based on your last point, Kylie. If I'm a A level player. Well, I will you as a baseball team learn more about me if I face a level pitching, double A pitching or major league pitching, like major league pitching, I'm assuming I will just do if I'm a hitter, I'll just do terribly. Like, I mean, yeah, a major, I'm, I'm just not going to hit well. So is it is it like one of the things in information theory we know is you learn more when things are matched? Is that true for baseball? Is that your belief?
2: Yeah, I think the best thing that can happen, and this happens sometimes in like the high school showcase environment, where if you get three straight at bats against the very best pitchers in high school that are, you know, sitting 98 and could go straight to low A, uh, when you're used to facing rookie ball or non professional pitching, that's essentially one level above you, and so we don't know what the hitter will do in that situation. If he then succeeds three, four, five times in a row, you get a decent sample size, or you can look at the qualities of the at bat, where you know it, it doesn't look like his heart rate sped up, he's fouling off pitches, he doesn't seem fooled. Uh, that tells us something that he he would then succeed at the next level. And like there's a guy last year that went in the second round. That if they redid the draft now, he would have gone eighth overall instead of 60th overall. And it's because he went one level higher. He went to that low A level and mashed in a level that we didn't we thought was technically possible but unlikely and then he did it so i would say taking these high school players if you go face low a pitching that will basically tell you what we'll think of them next year gives you a little like a glimpse into it uh in the same way that a lot of guys are in triple a if you throw them in the big leagues they'll hit right now but we don't know and so a lot of times because we don't know is why they don't come up and then sometimes we find out we waited too long. I, I love Two things you've
1: said from a statistical perspective. One is about matching, which is if I face someone three levels above me, not much is going to be learned. And, you know, that's kind of known in statistical theory. And the second thing I loved you said, Kylie, is you're not making 20 year projections. You said we may have some sense of what they're going to do next year. And I think both of those are important learnings for our listeners on Morton Moneyball.
2: And I would also say that a lot of teams now are adjusting their thinking. It's something I've been talking about for five or six years that don't try to project which 18-year-old will be good at 25. That's too many things for a human to be able to comprehend and understand all these different possibilities and injuries and things. Say who's going to have the highest trade value in two years, that's probably a better guide for where you're headed. And so in that same way, like there's guys we've talked about when I worked for the Braves, like, hey, we had this guy – off of our draft board it turns out he hasn't been that good so we were right but in between that he went from being worth zero dollars to being worth 60 million dollars in trade value now he's back at zero but that 60 million is worth something if you kind of knew what was going on and could capitalize on it certain teams like the Yankees are very good at this once a guy realizes value and probably isn't a starter on a playoff team they get him out the door immediately
0: wow Well, this was leading to um, my next question, which was to how much difference do you see in the clubs? Moving from the showcase and the combine to the actual draft, you've just watched this. You've just been reporting on it. You're writing on it now. How would you characterize the differences across the league? Are there differences? I mean, in, in football, the evidence is pretty strong that teams don't differ in their ability to identify talent. They might use the picks more strategically, but in terms of just picking players, it's just so hard. It's not that they're not good at it. They're kind of equally good at a very hard task. The way you're describing baseball prospects, it sounds much more difficult, frankly.
2: I haven't seen that exact study uh, reference to baseball. I'm pretty certain that that's sort of a universal truth. And I I have, uh, I guess, recognized anecdotally that that's true. Um, because I uh, did an exercise or I guess we prepared to do an exercise with uh, Jeff Pass and some of my coworkers where we were going to sort of draft a front office where if you have, you know, seven different departments like, you know, amateur scouting, player development, draft scouting, um, hitter and pitcher development, big league coaching, whatever. And uh, yeah. Patson asked me, he's like, well, how would you, what would be your strategy if we did that? And I said, well, I would draft all of the other departments before amateur domestic scouting for the draft, <laughs> because I can make a case that there's like 15 teams that are the best. And every two or three years, it kind of changes based on yeah. like who seems to sort of be on heater right now. And I think that's because it is one of the most efficient markets aside from maybe big league free agency, um, cause there's still certain teams that like will reliably get a big leaguer out of minor league free agency every year, like sort of discarded players from triple a. And in the draft it's like, no team is laugh out loud, terrible at it. Whereas like the Rockies had a stretch where like they spent $200 million and got nothing for it. And it was sort of hilarious that they could be that bad. Uh, and in the draft, like every team gets pretty good players every year, and no team is killing everybody, and no team doesn't miss at all, and no team is 100% at anything. Uh, and it's kind of amazing that this high school, college level is where that level of efficiency and competition seems to be almost most robust. What's your belief, Kylie,
1: on how much is kind of unmeasurable? Because, you know, now in the world of artificial intelligence, video technology, tracking technology big machine learning models that can be fit you know in some sense we can incorporate human judgment scouts ratings we can you know we can measure their body motion body size we we can collect all kinds of data do you think that's going to lead to really good
2: predictions or they're just there's just going to be stuff that's unmeasurable no matter what we do So we have a bit of data on that, although it's, I would say, a little bit muddy that I think teams realized, say, seven, 10 years ago, that there's just simply too much information for just even a group of people to properly weigh. And so we had the introduction of draft models or algorithms or how you want to refer to it. Every All thirty teams have one now. I would say 20 of them are very focused on them. And maybe five or six are so focused that they essentially let the computer make picks for them. Like I've been told there's a team that they walk up to the board and look at a player. And they're like, all right, how much does you want? 500K? And someone's like, the computer says 400K, can't sign them. Like it's like that distinct. And I asked someone that worked for that team, if you uh, imagine a player that like never pitched in a game, but threw 190 miles an hour in a bullpen, how much could you give him? And they were like, no stats, no internet rankings, nothing to plug in just that bullpen. He's like, like 300k, we couldn't give much more than that. And I'm like, if this guy goes 400 miles an hour, they're like, no, it's still be the same (laughs) number. Like there's just a cap on how much we can pay him if we don't have enough information. And I intentionally mentioned internet rankings, because that's a big part of it. Um, that they have basically found we need the wisdom of the other 29 teams, they're not going to tell us, but Kylie and a couple other people are talking to the other 29 teams. And we need to sort of like I've seen the reports the teams have when I work for them. Uh, they are all over the place. There's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of people that don't take all the pieces of information into account. There's people in the office that can do that. But you need to sort of smooth out some of those weird parts. And sometimes those weird parts are someone finding a Hall of Famer like Albert Pujols that the other 29 teams didn't know. Most of the time, it's a guy that doesn't have a scale calibrated correctly. And you need to kind of adjust it to make it like usable information
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so kylie um two questions both about uh high school versus college um players in the draft first of all i still see a lot of high school players so if you can tell me a little bit about how much relative forecasting ability you have with that fairly large age differential um you guys 17 18 year olds versus 21 22 year olds and secondly what is approximately the current premium uh, the, the obvious obviously probably have to pay a lot more to sign a, a high school player than a college player because he doesn't have the college players not have alternatives anymore. They have to either go play baseball or do something else. So high school can threaten to go back and go go to college. Um, so just can you answer a little bit on about both of those.
2: Yeah, it's a real, uh, as much as you want to make it a science, it's still a lot of an art, um, because there's so much that can be, I mean, teams, obviously are trying to figure out like how much will a kid grow? How much will his bat speed increase? Uh, I know there's one team that has like a very specific thing that they notice in, uh, they found the best predictor of a player's velocity is not how hard he's currently throwing. It is, uh, taking high speed, uh, video of as he's delivering the ball a pitcher how his foot goes from like about to touch the ground to like that step over move to planting in the ground and pushing that that the numbers they get from that high speed video is more predictive of the velocity in the future than the current velocity which seems absurd but it's essentially saying this kid has inefficient uh, movements or has latent strength that will be coming. And they've used it in their big league stadium and they know that this is predictive. And I've mentioned that concept to teams. Like I have that video, I have companies that help me look through that video at a, you know, sort of low level, maybe like a baseline level of what they actually have. And they've told me, yeah, when you put that tweet out about that guy with the really good data, he has good data. We have a little more detail on how good it is and what it means, but like you're getting a little bit of signal there, essentially a company giving it to me for free to put on the internet. Um, so there's things like that. I, there's not like a, I would say like a blanket premium, but the idea of you pay more for raw tools, you have no idea how useful they will be in a game relative to a college player. I would say it's anywhere from like two to five times the price for like comparable players, but they're also much younger and you're buying them out of college and the upside is higher. And so that's, you know, that's kind of the, the set of equations you're trying to go through to make the decision.
1: How much do they take, how much do teams and how much do you also think about uncertainty? Like my point estimate of player A is higher than my point estimate of player B, but there's so much uncertainty around A, I might even suggest us taking B. How much do teams take uncertainty into account when they're drafting, making up contracts, or thinking about the role of analytics?
2: Uh, I would say the average scout. Uh, especially when I was less in the game like three or four years ago uh, is not great at using it in the ways that you are talking about it. Uh, I have found that the, as more and more people that think I'll say like we do um, are getting into the game, it's becoming a more common thing. Like there's one team who's pro scouts, So this is where there's tons of data. They could essentially write the report with someone watching video in the office and then going through all the data. The guy that is in the stadium to A, say if anything weird's happening, and then B, see stuff the camera can't see, like talking to his pitching coach and finding out how how good he is at learning new things, watching his body language in the dugout. Like that's why they're there because they're probably going to get a pretty similar answer on like 90% of the players remotely uh they have been instructed by their front office to put percentage chances of each of the various outcomes using the two to eight scale in baseball so a lot of times in the past and for other teams right now it would be uh five as an average player say a number four starter and they would just say he's a five and it would say like maybe risky or maybe we'll see if he can do this but it would be a very um quantitative number with a qualitative explanation. And now it'll say 40% chance of a five, 10% chance of a six, 0% chance of a seven, you know, whatever it might be. And they sort of have meetings every six months or so to sort of calibrate this like, Hey, this guy, you said had 0% chance of being a seven a year later is a seven. So we're gonna need to adjust that. Here's some of the things that he had that you couldn't see that we could see. So maybe check these numbers before you go to the park to, to be able to calibrate what you're doing a little bit better which the word uncertainty might not come up, but the idea of risk and chances and variability and distributions, these things are becoming much more common now.
0: One of the amazing things about hearing you talk about baseball scouting is that it's simply more advanced than scouting is in other sports for, for lots of reasons. But I feel like we're hearing kind of the future when we talk to you about what's going on in baseball for what we will see elements of in football and basketball and soccer down the road. Kylie, you said that you don't really think teams differ in their ability to pick players. You're, you're, you're speculating that that would be the case as we've identified in other sports, but yet we see these grades come out about clubs, farm systems being very different. This, this club's farm system will be the best grader or whatever. If they're not better at identifying players, what is it that drives some farm systems especially the clubs that tend to systematically have more valuable farm systems than others what are the other factors that are going into that
2: the biggest one would just be draft capital if you're constantly picking at the top of the draft you're going to have more you know bites of the apple more opportunities to spend that 3 to 5x um, you know premium on a high school player and if you hit then all of a sudden cuz the funny thing is if you look at some of these studies like i hear it from scouts all the time because every team does this every year or two uh, which is which teams were the most effective in the draft. And every time someone brings it up, they give me a different answer because it'll either it'll be slanted to say that the team is currently either doing really well or really poorly, depending on who's doing the study within the organization, if they want to fire the scouting director or whatever. Uh, but it's always like, oh, if you do just like high school signs out of the last eight years, it's this team. And I'm like, yeah, because the one guy looks like a hall of famer that was taken in the eighth round. So the expected value was zero and the delivered value is $300 million and And 10 teams have zero players of that demographic that have made it. And, like, the Guardians come up all the time because they had, like, Zach Plisak and Shane Bieber and, like, a handful of good big leaguers that came from late picks. But I'm like, you can't say they have a good process because of three players over 10 years. It's because they also have been doing other stuff. And the stuff they did with those guys, they've been doing with other players. And every year there's new players. And it seems sustainable. Uh, I would – all that to say, I think what's also happening is teams will have an edge. So one of the teams I mentioned earlier, another thing that's happening – is they started targeting some of the players that Cleveland was targeting and ha- doing having a lot of success with. Uh, and they took a player that I thought was a little overvalued in the second round. And I said, why did you take him there? And he was like, well, Cleveland normally would have gotten this guy in the second round, but now... Uh, us and Cleveland and Milwaukee and a couple other teams are looking for that kind of player. And now that guy goes in the back of the second round because there's four teams racing to get him, And we've decided this is as high as you could possibly take him. And then there's three other lesser versions of him. And they all go in the third and fourth round now, instead of the seventh and eighth round. And so Cleveland had an edge for a while where like James Karen I think was a fifth or sixth rounder. That guy can't go there anymore because people have realized those players are easier to develop than we thought they were. And so now everyone is racing to get there. And so I think there are, if you remember in Moneyball uh they'll notice that walks were important and nobody figured that out for like five years now teams notice stuff in the draft about like the sports sciencey stuff and the stepover move I was talking about other teams will have it by the next year's draft and it might only be one team, and the next year it might be three teams. And so there's still a little bit of a window, but it slowly degrades to the point where I'm figuring out within a year or two. And I'm noticing that players with that with great explosion toward the plate are being undervalued. I don't know what metric they're using. I just know that's what they're targeting. And when I say it, other teams figure it out. And so those windows are getting smaller and smaller. But if you've got that window for a year or two, you're going to have a big edge on everybody else.
0: Right, right. Fascinating. Thank you, Kylie. We are near to having to cut you loose. We know you have a a deadline at the top here. Can you give us something uh, to make us better, smarter baseball watchers? What are you watching when when you're watching the game these days? What are you paying attention to? What do you think is interesting? Any themes or patterns in the game this year that you, Kylie McDaniel, are especially interested in? You think Or metrics,
1: statistics, anything that would be nice as
2: well. Yeah, something we talked about uh, in the draft was the the concept of do you? So, if you're thinking about a player that you're going to draft that's going to go to low A, do you want him to be very good at a broad set of things, like can hit the ball to all fields, can adjust to all pitches and all locations, do all these things? Or if, let's say, your big league team, you tend to like players who can take a high fastball and hit it out to right field and do like a very specific thing that's very important and very hard to teach. Uh, He can do that, but he can't do anything else. Like he's been only doing that. Braden Taylor at TCU is an example of a guy that did that. Um, And then just hope he can do it all the way up. And if it turns out in AAA, that that trick runs out, he's got nothing else to fall back on. Like he is just this guy. Um, To me, that is super interesting. And I think something to look for within the, in the big leagues or at any level, the minors or even college is when someone gets that sort of pitch, a hitter into their sort of nitro zone or the area where it seems like they want it. Uh, if they want an inside fastball, are they going to wait until they strike out looking until they swing at that inside fastball? If they get a the fastball in that area twice in a row, What do they do with the second one? If we're trying to talk about like things that can predict that someone will be able to go to the next level, even within the big leagues, it's when a mistake is making multiple times or when someone has a predictable pattern. So if you're watching a big league game and some guy throws two fastballs in the exact same location back to back, what happens the second time? That'll tell you a lot about how good that hitter actually is. And if he has a chance to sort of take a step forward uh, in the future. Mm -hmm.
0: Cool. Thanks, man. Well, listen, Kylie, appreciate you taking time. Uh, welcome back from your big trip out there, and good luck writing, writing up your reports on the draft. We'll look forward to seeing them.
2: Yep, thanks for having me.
0: Kylie McDaniel, ESPN Baseball Insider, covers baseball prospects, draft free agency, and more. You can catch his work up there. Formerly wrote for Fangraphs and before that, Major League Baseball. He's been a repeat guest here on Wharton Moneyball. For the whole crew, Audie Weiner and Eric Bradlow have been through here with me for the whole show. Shane Jensen, in Sentia, Matty Das, the boss man, Deion Simpson, the associate boss man. Appreciate you guys listening. Come back and join us next time. Between now and then,
1: enjoy your sports.